0: In sports, no two stories are the same. The Other Pros podcast takes an in-depth look at the sports industry and the individuals who work in it. Hosts John Ganther and Mike Gambardella interview some of the industry's top coaches, administrators, and athletes. With a combined 30 years of experience working in athletics, Ganther and Gambo offer their perspectives on how sports operate behind the scenes. From coaches to trainers to athletic directors, no titles and no sports are off the table. Without further ado, here's your host, John Ganther.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 10 of the Other Pros Podcast. I'm your host, John Ganther. In this week's episode, Mike and I speak with Chris Ray, Assistant AD for Compliance at Georgetown University. The three of us met at American University back in 2013 and have stayed in touch over the years. Mike and I discussed Chris's career in sports, beginning as a student-athlete on the swim team at Providence College in Rhode Island, um, and all things NCAA compliance. Without further ado, here's the episode with Chris Ray. All right, Chris, welcome to the uh, podcast.
2: Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Yeah, so uh, we always like to start off these episodes um, by uh, having you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are at uh, your position as the Assistant Athletic Director for Compliance at Georgetown University.
0: Panther, I'm going to have to stop you right there. We're not even going to let Chris talk first. We, he got his job because of us. That, that's the answer to that question. He doesn't need to go
1: any further. I was about to, I was about to say the last part of that question, we just answered it.
2: <laughs> Funny guys, yeah. You know, I I owe it to all, all, all the people before me. What can I say? Um ah so a little bit about myself. So probably what got me into in into my role or leading up to my role in compliance was um uh I started off. Um I think like most people or like a lot of people work in college athletics, I started off as a current as a student athlete. Um I was a student athlete at Providence College as a a swimmer, um, graduating in 2009. Um, And, you know, it was funny at that point um, in my career, or, you know, in in college swimming, I thought, this is great. I wanna work in in, in athletics. I actually think I wanna be a swim coach. That was the original goal was, this is pretty cool. I love swimming. Uh, I was always into. I was better at teaching it than I was actually uh, that I was actually doing it. Um, uh, and so I always really enjoyed um, that aspect of it. And so I thought, all right, I'm graduating from college. I'm gonna go become a swim coach. I shouldn't say that. That was about halfway through college. And then senior year, I'm looking around. And I'm like, maybe I don't want to be a coach in particular. Maybe I want to be in athletic administration. Um, and I didn't close that door on coaching. I just thought, um, let's let's kind of branch out and see what the options are available, obviously, uh, and and the ideas that are that are out there. So I, I thought I wanted to be a, um, you know, I think people that talk about athletic administration, they say, oh, I want to be an AD, right? So that was like next step, coach, to then become an AD. Um, I wouldn't say I closed the door on coaching because when I graduated, I I start I um, moved back home and started coaching for the um, club team that I that I swam for growing up, um, and I coached um, mainly the high schoolers, which was nice because being right out of college, um, I could set a lot of them up with um, kind of the mindset of co- of swimming in college and and what it took and and give them kind of um, guidance on that. All right, so, um, so let's get back to, let's get back to when I was graduating college and my time at Providence really shaped a lot of that. One, I was really into the team aspect of it. I was into, um, you know, what it did for me in a, in a formation, in a foundational way, formation, or a formative way of how I was, how I was growing and, and uh, maturing um, or lack there of maturity, um, as we both know, but um, um, and I was also involved in the um, student athlete, um, sorry, the, yeah, SAC. I was involved in um, Student Athlete Advisory um, Committee um, as one of the leaders from the swim team um, for the athletic department. So I got to, to kind of um, take a a deeper look into what um, what college athletics really was, right? So then, that that shaped my approach for wanting to be a coach, and then um, branching out to more of a administrative type of role. Um, how I fit in there, I wasn't sure. Obviously, um, I did it. Um, so I graduated. I started working as a swim coach. For the for the team I coached um, and then I went and uh, and started doing some informational interviews with ADs um, in the area I'm from northern Jersey um, had some connect random connections through through in, administrators at Providence um, just family friends that I happen to know informational interviews on how to get into the 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 college athletic realm um, while again I'm coaching um, and actually I started working um, in uh, I guess my first job out of college was selling tickets um, I was selling uh, tickets for a small co- um, company in northern New Jersey that is basically an extension of ticket offices for for um for uh professional teams. So it was it was a company that was run by two former NFL ticket executives. Um they worked at both the at the um team level, so working at, you know ticket office for a team and then they ended up working both together as ticket office um as the NFL's ticket guys. Um, and then they branched off using that and created a, a, a network or a company that then um, was extension of sales um, teams for, for all different types of um,
0: professional sports teams. So- I think that's something we actually didn't know about, Chris. There, there's a not first, we're, we're learning about our own friends here that yeah, people, no. they had jobs that you didn't even know about that could help you out. I'm just glad that so far, Chris has never said that at any point he thought he was going to be a competitive swimmer because there's rumors out there that you twice lost races to an overweight lifeguard or something like that.
1: Those are strong rumors. Strong,
2: strong, strong rumors, strong. you know, so I don't, I, I still don't believe him. Might have had a broken hand caused by one of them. Who I, knows?
0: I, I b- might have maybe had a broken knuckle at, at a pool in down in Orlando at a, at a conference, perhaps. But uh, a not story under for any type of influence or hungover at all. Uh, a, a story for another day, of course. But uh, as we get back to your kind of first forays into college athletics and obviously being a student athlete kind of helps set the tone for you there. Um, as you're kind of starting off, you find your ticket office jobs as ganther's wife can admit that would open some doors for you as well um so now that you've kind of done your initial you know informational interviews you've got your first job where did the pivot to the compliance side of things start to pick up
2: so it it all stems back to that that um my time in as a student athlete on SAC, and one of the things that SAC does every year is kind of go through the potential rule changes every year the NCAA puts out their um, their 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 new rule or the rule the rules to be voted on for that year um, and they like to have student-athlete input on them so the SAC department in, at each institution and and t- still does it to this day will then review um, those proposals with the usually the compliance person um, at the school um, and then we'll submit their their thought process or their questions or how they think that aren't their institutions should vote and then it goes those voting scales go on to the conference office and then um there becomes a conference position from the from the student athletes Um, so that was one of the biggest things because i we'd sit there and have a couple meetings on on these rules changes and we talk about um all anything that there could be um you know Plus,es minuses, um, things that might be you know unintended consequence to the rules, and you kind of you kind of start as a student athlete going through all these rules. You're putting together kind of how the sausage is made, if you will, and you're like, "Well, there's a lot more to this than me just jumping in the pool and going back and forth and trying to race as fast as I can, right?" So um, that that's where it, it kind of sh- branched into the compliance, and uh, um, at that point, I had become. I graduated working ticket office. I started, um, I uh, kept in contact with the administrator of SAC at Providence, which was a a woman by the name of Jessica Hegman, who both of you know pretty well um, from our time in American. Um, And she um, basically continued to help me kind of evolve and find a pathway in, right? Because the hardest thing to getting into college athletics is, is doing the time to get in. Um, so I worked for free um, for a year or two. Um, yeah, just kind of making my way, um, helping out wherever I can in athletic departments. I, uh, I went back to graduate school um, at Adelphi University on Long Island uh, to get my sports management degree. Um, to get that, that master's degree that, that really is kind of necessary um, to work in higher ed. Um, at the time, I was also the assistant swim coach at the SUNY, SUNY College at Old Westbury. Small Division three school, uh, Westbury, Long Island. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty interesting place, but um, I would think I was, I was making three thousand dollars to be the swim assistant swim coach
1: moving Um, up in the world from free yeah
2: right free to then that's big d3 money
1: right there seriously
2: from from uh what i guess that was november now october 15th through march 1st it's like a seasonal employee and uh that was grueling that that was a grueling job because i was going to i was going to grad school at the same time and I was also working at that point um, at, at St. John's in their development office, helping out. I was doing 20 hours a week St. John's. I was probably coaching about 20 hours a week, and I was taking classes, you know, two days or three days a week at night.
1: I didn't know you were an NCAA coach. We could have been calling you Coach Cray all these years. You've been holding out on us that you're a Division three coach. Yep. We Once missed opportunity
0: the time. here. Yep. The last decade could have been so different.
1: Yeah. Thank
2: God for the internet and Mike's job because I'm still you can still find me on the SUNY old West first page, you know?
1: All right. Well I know what I'm about to do. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Google never forgets. That's right. The internet is forever. Um
2: so yeah. So then I so then I started I met Jess I um Jess Hegman and moved out at that point to um uh to American from Providence and um she had an opening. And, uh, I interviewed and I actually got, didn't get the job. Didn't hire you um, sure enough. Eight months later, she has another, op- the same opening opens <laughs> again. And she said, I interviewed again. I kept doing, I was doing other things at the time, uh, or like, I can continuing to work for free, expanding my resume. And, um, she hired me the second go round. Her, 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 I was a little green, if you will, in the compliance realm, um, but she figured she could, she knows I was working hard to try to get into the industry. She knew she could teach me um, and really kind of form my understanding and and, and, uh, um, and my role at American. And she knew that she wouldn't have to replace me in eight months if she brought in somebody a little green. So... <laughs> in typical college athletic world is sometimes it's easier to bring in somebody who's less less knowledgeable um kind of as long as you have the ability to, to to um to help their growth uh and so that they're not
0: a you know so that they can help you and still get their job done right it right. uh, looks like Jess knew what she was talking about as you're now running the shop, you know, down the hill over at uh, Hoya land. But um, you, you kind of talk about, you know, of course we know Jess. And the thing that I love about college athletics is, you know, the old sayings, what, like uh, six degrees of Kevin Bacon, seven degrees of Kevin Bacon college athletics is, you know, two degrees of Chris Ray within two people. You've got someone from almost any college in the country And the amount of doors that seemingly open and you hit on it a couple times and it's you understood the importance of working for free or just that three thousand dollar stipend to be able to gain the experience was that something that you kind of knew you had to do or was somebody along the way say like this is probably what you should do did that come from those informational meetings that uh, absolutely came from the informational meetings you know I, I, it was Rick Cole, who
2: at that point was the athletic director at, um, a defunct school at, at this point, um, on Long Island. Um, why is the name? Is it post? No, uh, it's D2 school. The name is escaping me. Oh, Dallin come- college. excuse me. Okay. Dallin yeah. college D2 school. Rick Cole was the AD there, um, and it, talk about six degrees of separation. My father-in-law was on the board at Dowling College, and he and Rick had gotten along very well because um, my father-in-law, who's my my wife, swam at Providence with me. My um, uh, my wife's brother ran cross country at Holy Cross. My wife's other brother played hockey at Scranton. Um, and my, um, wife's sister played, um, lacrosse at Stonehill college. So the, the in-laws had, have a, a family tradition, uh, obviously pretty, pretty big athletic tradition. So, um, when he was on the board at Dowling college, he, um, was, ve- um, was obviously very interested in, in and worked with Rick on any, on all the things that I had to go to the board, so um, they sent me up with that informational interview. Rick Cole walked in and and to me and said, and sat me down. We we're having a conversation, and he said, "You know, how there's only about 300 I don't know 60 something Division One institutions in the country. There's only 361 or whatever AD jobs in the country. So do you have to you have to realize how competitive and you know intimidating that is. There's millions of companies in this world. There's You can create your own company, right? But to be able to work for an institution, you're gonna have to fight your way in and you're gonna have to kind of prove that you're willing to do whatever it takes. And in, in a, as we all know, the most expensive thing in college athletics is the manpower. And so if you can walk in and do it for free, you're going to be able to, you know, one up somebody, uh, or at least get your name to the top of the list where, you know, it, it'll connect you with others.
0: And Some great advice from Rick, who I believe is in his second year as the AD at Hofstra now, and to that exact two degrees of separation, I guess it's a one degree, who I worked for as a student worker when he was the associate AD for external at Saint John's. Right.
2: Exactly. <laughs>
0: This is college athletics. Everyone somehow is connected to everyone.
1: It is. It's a very, very small world. Um, But yeah, so you were talking about, you know, the informational meetings. You make your way through the compliance world. I don't know if everyone's seen the compliance book before. It honestly rivals, you know, the Bible in terms of length and just absolute complexity. So I've got to ask, do you read it cover to cover every year? Because I know they have new rules every year so there's updated versions every season
2: i've never read it cover to cover
1: i'm not trying to get you in trouble you know, I don't know no, if that's no, like a rule no, no. Re- I don't, I don't, job any, requirement. are we breaking <laughs> compliance rules <right> now?
2: <laughs> i don't think any, i don't know if anybody has maybe some people i don't know
0: <laughs> i'm sure jess hegman did read it cover to cover
2: i i will tell you uh, before i start. i got married for, right before i started my the job in american and i said hey jess can you send me any type of materials i might you know want to want to have so just to be ready so she sent me a couple of things she sent me a couple NCA like pamphlets that they give out um guide to the college-bound student-athlete uh various different things that they create every year and i she sent me the rule book so i actually started to try to read it um cover to cover but i you know, it's one of those books where you got to really work with it before you, you, you look at it and you go, what exactly does all this mean? Um, and that's the, that's, that's the fun part of compliance. If there is a fun part, it's how the rules change and evolve over the years. I'll give you a good example um, that I think is the funniest, the funniest rule out there. So in 2009-10 the academic year of 29 of 2009-10 um the ncaa permitted schools to give student athletes fruit nuts or bagels at any time prior to that you had to be a meal it had to be all this type type of thing so they said all right all of our institutions can give out fruits nuts and bagels well guess what the ends, the big east then took it the year later and said who wants a bagel without a spread so they said okay we're going to put out a proposal to say we can include to add, include spreads in that i.e butter
1: the cream cheese butter, rule yeah
2: jelly cream butter
1: it's a peanut yeah it's a cream cheese rule yeah
2: and guess what it was defeated yep so you go like where are we in this and then again that's where we're and we're significantly further than we were in 2009 10 in 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 the NSA
0: rule world and I'm not sure if this is revisionist history and it's funny you bring it up because I was going to ask Anther, you know, where were you in nine ten? And I started thinking, where was I in nine ten? I was interning the for East. the big East conference. And I remember at all of the training tables outside of each of the locker rooms at the garden, there was this spread of fruit, nuts, and bagels. And kind of thinking to yourself, is there some peanut butter we can throw on here? Any, anything? Nope. Just, just your straight bagel. And it was Chris Ray's fault the whole time that didn't let me put my cream cheese on my bagel.
1: My first job at Florida State Fall 2011, I had a, the first breakfast we had at, of uh, preseason training. I got a bagel and I was looking looking for condiments, nothing to be found. So I was starving that morning. Um, and we had to bring in our own peanut butter and cream cheese and we kind of do it like back in the equipment room after that. But that was my first introduction into the wild, wild west of NCAA rules and regulations.
0: But you you hit on a good point, Chris, where it it has come so far in the past decade now, which is crazy to think that it has been a decade since that point. Um, And the rules change every year, if not, you know, every cycle as, you know, presidents and ADs meet. Do you find that to be one of the more challenging parts of your position is to constantly stay on new things? Or is it more kind of the interpretation side of the different you know, issues that pop up on a day to day, week to week basis for you.
2: Yeah, it's, you know, that the navigating the rule changes is probably the easier part of the job, right? So, you know, I, you know, we get them around October. Uh, we start talking with our, co- we got, we get the potential rule change here on October. We start talking about talking them with our coaches, with our ADs um you know anybody who could be involved in a potential rule change um we get our institutional positions we talk about it um you know with the big east um now that i'm at, at georgetown we talk about it we have the NCAA, we have NCA staffers come into our our compliance meetings and discuss those rules changes um so those kind of um that's actually the one of the easier parts um you learn a lot more you learn quickly by doing that right because what was the old rule? What's the rationale for the old rule? What's the new rule? What's the rationale for the new rule? Who, what's the unintended consequences of these new rules? Where, where are we, where is this rule coming from? Why are we doing this, right? So, um, and that kind of, that's the, that's the easy part. Now, the interpretation part is always the challenge, right? Um, the NSA came out, I guess, 2015, 16, with what they called an nca interpretations policy um philosophy so they wanted we as compliance professionals wanted to have a little more interpretary um guidance if you will so what can be what what in the nca's mind has more of a has more flexibility to give on campus right so um with that being said, and they said, and say, said, look, anything involving your student athletes and their experience, you can be very interpretively friendly, if you will. So something's going on, student needs this student needs that, you know, give it to them. But on the other on the other realm, anything involving recruiting, that's almost a hard no, right? If it's not in the book that it's available via via recruiting, it ain't happening because we don't want to We don't want to keep, we want to try to keep that playing field level, though we know it's not level, but we want to keep it somewhat level if you will.
1: Let's take a second to check in with our sponsor for this episode, Vermont Organic Science. Are you interested in trying CBD, but don't know where to start? Check out our friends at Vermont Organic Science for the best CBD products available. USDA certified organic hemp was specifically grown in Vermont, for CD, CBD VOS before being processed and made into small batch products. They just released the strongest certified organic, organic CBD topical available that works great for aches and pain. The new CBD gummies are great on the go and delicious. Try CBD products you can trust and afford at www.vermontorganicscience.com shop. Use code podcast at checkout for 20% off. Again, vermontorganicscience.com slash shop for 20% off with code podcast. And now back to our interview with Chris Ray. Yeah, you know, I there's mean, no, no blue
0: chips issues of, you know, given Ricky Rowe a bag of cash, there's no car dealerships involved
1: here anymore. Yeah,
0: anymore, right?
1: Yeah, no, not a, no cars for the parents either, or country club access, anything like that. Um, speaking of recruiting, kind of in the same realm here, um, the transfer rules uh, the transfer portal obviously this year has been wild and crazy mike and i don't envy your job ever but certainly not in the last you know eight or nine months um you know with sports being canceled and kids being able to transfer um due to the pandemic uh what are your thoughts kind of on the i mean obviously this year it's different rules but how the transfer portal has evolved over the years because you know a couple of years ago it was you know coaches could restrict kids on where they what schools they could go to and couldn't go to. And now it's kind of evolved and the player now has more authority of where they want to transfer to.
2: Yeah, no, I, I think like the bringing out the transfer portal or creating the transfer portal was, is a great piece of it. I mean, that, I know that that has been talked about since like early, like two, like way, way before my time, they were like, why don't we just put everybody in a portal who, who comes to transfer the, the the way the rules were written for transfers, um, you know, it always is like, oh, it's you know, rules are written basically for the one percent, and then all of a sudden, transferring b- goes from being you know one percent used to transfer a year now or like sixty something people per, percent of college student athletes transfer once at least once in their time in, in college, um, so it was like, well, we wrote a rule for one percent, maybe we need to if this is going to become the norm. Unfortunately, we need to create a, a, an avenue um, to make it easier, right? And um, I, I think the transfer portal piece of it, the actual, um, well, you know, that's the piece that actually, you know, you put the student athlete in the transfer portal and then they can begin to communicate with other, other schools. Um, there are still, you know,
0: the,
2: there are still exceptions, um, as we know, um depending on the conference that you're in you might not be able to transfer interconference um the big east still has an interconference transfer r- rule um which is a pretty it's probably one of the only power 5 conferences to have that right now um and i know that there's no appetite for it to change <laughs> at least amongst the men's basketball coaches from what i hear those meetings are pretty interesting um I mean, it's cutthroat to recruit a college basketball player, right? And you spend a lot of time and a lot of money. So the last thing that these coaches want to see is walk into, the, you know, walk on the court and see now the Big East plays a round robin schedule. So you see every team twice a year, you know, you're over over, uh, a student athlete's four-year career at an institution. You're seeing the kid eight times, right? And, you know, you spent all this time recruiting him, and then he, let's say, like, in, there's even a um, uh, an amendment to the Big East rule that if you sign an NLI to go to a um, Big East institution, and then you transfer to another big institution, in basketball, you can't play. So even the NLI, you, you never set foot on campus. Um, let's say, you, you know, you asked for a release from your NLI, you, you didn't set foot on campus, that still counts. So um, that, that it's kind of very interesting. I think that the Big East is gonna stand by that for a long time. I think as long as they can until knock on wood, hopefully no um, lawsuits come. And then, then I think that's where the NSA is always forced to change. Um, but you know, the, the, uh, to go back, the transfer portal is just the mechanism to, to, to gather information on that student athlete, right? So what's nice is all of a sudden you have a portal student athletes name is in there but then they also have what we call a transfer tracer in there so it actually goes through when they enrolled at your institution if they enrolled elsewhere other places and we ask the compliance people to fill them out so that the coaches who are recruiting them can get a better sense of what um, what you know they're kind of recruiting what that what that student athlete what their NCA eligibility and participation is instead of um, you know, going through the kit for through the student athlete and then kind of getting confused and student athlete walking on campus then not being eligible or things like that so it created a, an easier um, exchange of information um, and since then we've added more more fields and more required information um, which helps us in the compliance world when we're trying to um, do eligibility for transfers but then the new thing and the nice thing is that hopefully the transfer um, rules go. So hopefully everybody can get a one-time transfer and and not have to sit a year.
0: We can say hopefully that, that will work. <laughs> um, but you, you talk kind of the recruiting side of it, whether it's going to be recruiting someone in the transfer portal or, you know, from high school and the competitiveness of everything, especially in the Big East. And I remember one of the last things I did with St. John's was you know, put the full court press getting, you know, whether it was compliance office, marketing, sports information, ticketing everyone together. Um, I remember doing a presentation for Lance Stevenson um, and it was akin to kind of a scene from Entourage where Ari Gold puts everything out on the table and all the things that we can do for you. And, and obviously he ended up going to Cincinnati and was the rookie of the year that year. And, uh, the competitiveness between the Big biggies and then seeing the trickle down into the different departments. Now looking at the compliance side of things and especially now in COVID times where recruiting is much different and much in this Zoom space, do you find yourself being more involved on that recruiting side of things?
2: I mean, that's what, that's what the world right now is revolving around is how can we create our um, on-campus experience, recruiting experience In a virtual space right um and i will say uh, there is a competitiveness amongst other departments um with other schools the nice thing about the compliance world is we're all in it together um i will say that um and we we have i i talked to you know the compliant uh andrew smith at american i talked to um chandra beerworth over at george washington i talked to all of the, um, all the Big East compliance people um, on an informal compliance call weekly um, to kind of go through that, to, to kind of see what everybody's doing because we always want to give our, our coaches innovative ideas that are all within NCAA rules. So, right? And, and nobody's reinventing the wheel right now, if you will. Um, but they're just kind of adapting and changing things. So it's always nice to have to, to have a group of, of compliance professionals that are working um, for their coaches, but also using other other in, other institutions and other friends within the institute within their you know um, their uh, their network to to help that to 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 assist your coaches right the coaches right because the end of the day, in the, end of the everybody's got a little bit of an advantage or a little bit of disadvantage here and there, um, depending on on what's going on um, during COVID, right? You know, DC's completely locked down. Um, California is kind of completely locked down. Uh, the Midwest, not as locked down. Texas, not as locked down, right? But um, um, it is what it is, but um, we, we still can have a, an advantage or a disadvantage, or you know, so how we can kind of navigate that? Um, it's it's nice. It's a, it's a community that's working together.
1: Yeah, it's uh, and I'm sure. For Georgetown especially, there aren't too many uh, basketball programs out there being led by an active, you know, Hall of Famer. Um, you know, so speaking of recruiting, an advantage. Um, have you been getting like a lot of calls from Pat Ewing saying, "Hey, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I Facetime with this kid and show us show him this new facility that we have?"
0: Always. Oh, <laughs> see that's a good answer that yeah. one word answers are acceptable even in a podcast setting just for
1: the <laughs> that is correct
0: <laughs> and chris you, you mentioned kind of you know the compliance directors you know always having to go back to what are the rules what are the rules and you mentioned you know the are uh, fruit nuts and bagel rules were there any others that you just kind of saw that are just completely out there or just dated that kind of remain that need to kind of get out of there that just like do the next couple cycles that just something that is a little you know around the bend just off topic a little bit
2: you know i'll tell you i'll i'll throw this interesting tidbit out out at you um there's one that i don't like and and uh it's that you can't that you cannot ask a, or you cannot create an audio or video presentation um, for recruiting that is created by a third party. And people always say, well, like that's good because like you should be able to do it on campus and you shouldn't be using a third party because then you're gonna your costs are gonna be absorbent or whatever, you're gonna get this cutting edge technology and you're own, you're you know, only Ohio State's going to be able to pay for that, right? It, it's funny when at Georgetown or and at other institutions I've heard of, their audio visual departments cost more than the third party. So if we want to create a recruiting presentation, and this is a generalized recruiting presentation, not one that's obviously, uh, not, nothing should be tailored to, Individual student athlete specific. But if we want to create a general recruiting presentation in which we have a 3D tour of the school and this and that, and we can use, you know, a realtor, a realtor's photo guy who does 3D photos, um, and he does it for, you know, $300 for the project. And then the university's photo guy is going to charge you 3000 you go we need a little more flexibility here right like we like, we <laughs> need like that at least there's some com- the common sense would say wouldn't we just be able to get the cheapest one just to get it done but that's not you know the way the rules are written we've been pushing that one a little bit in the big east because we've seen a lot of discrepancies
0: I can tell you, my strategic communications and creative department would appreciate some changes to that rule. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know,
2: the next one coming is name, image, likeness. Let's not high, let's not shy away from that one, boys. Um, it's about time, uh, in my opinion. Um, Student athletes shouldn't be paid; they're not employees. That's just my opinion. Um, but they should absolutely have the ability to. to to make money off their name, image, likeness for who they are as individuals. Um,
1: yeah, is that gonna make your job more difficult or more duties for you as a sign, quote unquote, now, if that were, you know, for your job? It'll
2: definitely make it more, 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 it'll, it'll add a layer of complexity in the next couple of years where we try to figure it out exactly what's okay, not okay. You know, the, the, the way that we, NCA writes the rule. The way that the membership comes up with the rules, and the MCA, the NCA assists in creating those rules, um, and then it it adds some complexity to what is allowed, what isn't allowed, um, uh, different things like that. Um, but you know, it's like it's. I never thought I would have this come into play, but when I was at George, a couple, I guess my first. Second semester at Georgetown, um, spring student athlete wrote a book for a class and he sold and he was selling the book because that's part of the assignment for the class. And I had to rule him ineligible and write a waiver and, and r- submit a violation and then write a waiver for him to be eligible and then be able to continue. And I thought, this is a school related thing. Why am I even bothering with this?
1: This is the student part of student athlete.
2: Right. And I and mm-hmm. and this and it was the name image likeness piece that 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 did it. It was like, well, he can't use his name to make money off his name. And yeah, how does should, that make how does that make any sense?
1: He that should that be way. applauded for writing a book while being a student athlete. <laughs> right. Not punished. <laughs> right.
0: So I once it, wrote about 30 pages, so I don't know what that guy's doing. Jeez. <laughs> Yeah. So that
2: was one of the interesting, um, you know, conundrum with the, with the name image likeness that, um, that, that has sparked some of my, my, um, my thoughts on it.
1: Yeah. It's, it's so easy for kids to potentially make money nowadays, especially with Instagram. Like all they got to do is make a video or take a picture with the product, add it to their story and then they get paid um so i mean are you just going to have to be getting alerts from every student athlete that you follow now like when they post a new video you're like oh that's good or all can't do that take down that story immediately
2: right that's that's going to be the biggest thing i mean like with all ncaa compliance world um compliance things it's it's how much education you can do on the front end and then how much monitoring do you have to do on the back end um so you know that'll be that'll be a a lot probably a long time coming um I've heard of institutions uh, paying for services to do the education piece, things like that. We don't even know what's allowed yet. Yet institutions are going out and partnering with people who, you know, say that they'll do it within the NSA rules, but, um, you know, we don't know yet. So there's a lot of unknowns with the world, but uh, yeah, the biggest thing is going to be education and the backend is going to be monitoring of it.
0: Glad you brought this one up, Chris, and, and there was actually a New York Times article that came out at the end of November, and I, the headline, I believe, was uh, college student-athletes who are allowed to make big bucks, and that shouldn't be allowed, right, because NLI, you're not allowed to do that, but the caveat was it's actually cheerleaders who are, as John said, using their Instagram accounts now as influencers and making a ton of money while still being able to do a sport in college and everything's fine, but because it's not an NCAA-affiliated sport and you're allowed to do that. Right. So maybe a matter of time before you find, you know, the ruling on how to do that appropriately, right? Exactly.
2: I mean, uh, the biggest... Piece to it, right? Is John um, Mike? You're wear, you're wearing Yale right now. I'm wearing Georgetown. Um, should our student uh, John? You are you are an AU. He's yeah. got
0: his AU stuff, of course he does.
2: So if uh, if our coaches are, you know, our student athletes are um, are using money off their name, his likeness, should they be able to wear gear? And and unfortunately, I kind of sit back and say no, because. That that would that would take the trademarks of the institution that you're attending that you need you you would owe money to right like, yeah you'd have to give them a cut you'd have to give them a cut um, or 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 they'd have to be able to give their branding to you which um, that's kind of there's a lot of you know how are we actually going to be able to do it is kind of a, the the tough process
1: part of it and what does this does this go into effect at the beginning of 2021 in some states. Oh, and
2: then, yeah, and then as I I always come up to it. So we all, the biggest thing with compliance that I always get get frustrated with um, is that the institutions create the rules and the institutions are the NCAA, right? The NCAA is a member institution organization. So the NCAA member institutions create the rules, they, um, they elect, they hire a president, Mark Emmer, who then hires a staff and has an organization that assists the, the member institution. And so, whenever, anybody, whenever our institutions get really angry with the NCAA, I always want to take a step back and be like, don't you all realize you're a member of the NCAA? And if you're really that angry, then why are you a member of the NCAA? <laughs> like, yeah, let's 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 put let's call a spade a spade here. Like we all, um, work into the rules and we all decide what they are, and we all try to create this, um, this fair system of college athletics. Um, and so, how what are we doing if we're gonna if all of a sudden we're gonna um, not agree with the NCAA's ruling on certain things?
0: To that point, do you think that's what's playing, you know, into some of these reports that, you know, college football playoff and you know FBS football, is that is it time to leave the NCAA and then kind of rule itself since it's operating on such a different scale?
2: Yeah, see, and I don't believe that that I know that those institutions will never want to do that because creating the creating the entity um, to manage it. Um, is very very difficult, right? Um, Mike, you're referring to the night commission um, that just came out. And uh, being in DC, I always go. I I go to every night commission meeting um, because it's it's so easy. Um, it's and it's it's fun and informative. Um, it obviously the night commission is just a think tank. Um, it's really not nothing more than that of um, very smart people, but um, they don't have the influence that that you'd think that they would. Um, but they come up with ideas that a lot of times their ideas do get put into fruition a couple of years later. So what I, I don't ever see the BCS um, changing, uh, moving out of the NCAA realm because they need to create some, they they all want, want some kind of rules, some kind of eligibility, um, sometimes some type of, you know, relation to academics right where they're student athletes um student first um you know the ncaa's mantra there um and so when they when the night commission says they're going to branch off you, you think it's a little hard to do that what i would see is i would prefer or i being at a being a basketball guy at a basketball school um i'd rather that somehow the college football playoff merged with the NCAA and they, they share the revenue, however they want, um, or at least feeding some of that money into the NCAA. Cause what happens right now is the NCAA pays for eligibility recruiting um, enforcement of um, of football student athletes, but doesn't really get any share of the pie. Um, so, Basically, you're adding an expense line without a revenue line, right? So, if you can share some of the revenue um, of the college football playoff with the NCAA, um, so that there's a plus side to it, um, and then and then creating a Division four, <laughs> or uh, sorry, di- like I, I guess I move everybody down. Uh, you know, Division one would be FBS, Division two would be, you know. FCS and and your non-football schools at at the division one level and then three would be your division two and and division three would be your division four to kind of merge the two um, because I think there are um, discrepancies in the value um, what of what big time college football brings to the table and what some of the other institutions that don't support a sport at that level, if you will.
1: Yeah, so I mean, based off what you just said, I mean, it sounds like you don't want to be the, you know, commissioner, the rules governing committee for, uh, you know, like the college football playoff or to be, you know, that for another new division, because it just sounds like a giant, giant headache. And, you know, we're kind of complaining about we being you know the powers that be in college football are complaining about a system that quite frankly if you want to start from scratch it would be nearly impossible yeah sure. yeah
2: other than well it's it, it not impossible only because what there's 65 of them <laughs> right so 65 rather than the 300 and whatever division one institutions there are it makes it a little easier but um yeah i mean College football has a place in this world. It has a it has a place in college athletics. It has a place in the university setting. Um, so I wouldn't and and you have a system that's created um, you know, to to monitor all of that. So why would you not um, kind
0: of create bring it all under one umbrella? Um speaking of college football having a place, are your Hoyas ever gonna play my Catholic Cardinals or what? Yeah, you know, that's the question. I, I hope so. No, I, I got a rep for my D three guys.
1: I mean, DC appreciates a good holy war, so I would. Uh, I'm all for that. We,
0: yeah, go we, ahead. Yeah, we really thank you for the time and kind of giving us some insight, especially on the compliance realm. And and my kind of closing piece is always, you know, for those who you know follow after you, whether that be uh, a collegiate swimmer, those from New Jersey um those who are looking to get into the compliance realm kind of the best piece of advice you can kind of give to those young people who are looking to get their start as well
2: yeah you know everybody has their own niche um everybody has their own experience um and how can you use those experiences to help others right so what can you do for them um somebody you know, I sit in this role and if I ever get emails or anything like that from individuals saying, um, you know, they want to be in college athletics, you know, I take the time to take the half hour call with them, um, t- tell them my story, um, tell them how they can get in. And, and I guess that's my pitch here is uh, anybody listening to this interested in college athletics, want to know more, want to know more, want to chat, um, I'm here. You can look me up on the on uh, GUHoyas.com.
1: He's there, world. Number He's is there for there. the taking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, and and before I let you go, I thought that was a great piece, Chris, of, of helping others and um, something I think that doesn't get talked about as much, especially in college athletics. And it's not just helping those that are coming into the industry. It's it's helping student athletes. And that's why the compliance department exists is to kind of help them through this process and, and get it right. And You know, that's why we're in this. A lot of people, I think, say it's, oh, you wanted to do sports for a living. But at the end of the day, you get to work with amazing young people and and be a part of their lives and help them through this, whether it be the promotion of them for what they do on the fields and in the classroom, um, you know, getting them geared up and looking amazing so they look good on either the Patriot League Network or ESPN Plus or Fox Sports One and, you know, having a small piece of that every day. And and I think a great piece of, of why we do what we do as well. Exactly. Well said, Mike. Well said.
1: Yeah. Thanks for coming on, Chris. We appreciate it. It was insightful as always.
2: All right. Good to talk to you guys.
1: All right. Nice, Bye. See you, Chris. That was our interview with Chris Ray. You can reach out to him via the Georgetown athletics website, guhoyas.com. Thank you to our sponsor, Vermont Organic Science. Please follow, follow them on Instagram at CBDVOS. And please follow the podcast on Instagram at otherpros. Thanks for tuning in. See you all next time.